Welcome to The Daily Sales Show, hosted by Sell Better. Hi, everyone. Welcome in. Happy Wednesday, middle of the week. We're almost there. Welcome back to The Daily Sales Show. If you have been here before, if you're new, we do this every single day. You can check out sellbetter.xyz or you can scan that beautiful QR code on your screen. We would love if you could change your chat settings really quick before we jump in so that we can all see your comments and feedback. Change your chat settings to say everyone instead of just hosts and panelists. And let us know where you're tuning in from. We always love to see it. We want to give a huge special thank you and shout out to our fabulous sponsor partners, Apollo, Gong, and Vidyard. I do want to drop in the chat really quick, um, Gong Engage, their newest AI addition to their platform. If you want to check it out, we've got a special, special link there in the chat for you to check it out. But today's show, I'm so excited because our pre-call was phenomenal. I love to learn from these two. We're talking about flows, sequences, cadences, how we can engage our prospects. And so huge welcome, Anthony, David. Hello. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. I need the like, like. need a, a good wave. I always do the like super awkward double wave. Yeah. Or like the princess. Um quick while we're kind of going through what the agenda is here today i would love to see who's in the room so that we can make this as engaging <laughs> i'm using the same word engage over again um as engaging as possible as pointed as possible to your titles to who's here and hanging out with us today we're talking current state of prospecting first we're going to just hear what David and Anthony are seeing what they're experiencing, what they're hearing. We're going to dive into some tactics that you can use in your cold outreach. And then at the very end, we're going to circle it all back together and talking about different sequences and like specific things that you can do within those sequences. Let's see who's in the room. 40% SGRBDR. 32% AE. Love to see it. Welcome to our frontline managers, leaders, and fabulous other. Let us know in the chat. Okay, let's dive right in. I want to start um, by acknowledging that cold outbound prospecting is so challenging right now. And it feels like we've been saying that forever. But every time I say it, I was like, was it true before? I feel like I had it pretty good before. Now it feels challenging. Are we going to be saying this again? Um, David, I want to hear your thoughts because when we were talking about this, you said something so powerful to me. And it's like, is it my email messaging that's really the issue or is it something else? Yeah, it, it's funny. I, I get hired by a lot of companies to come in. And one of the first things that they say is we need you to help us fix our sequence. And I say, okay, well, what do you mean by that? And one of the first things I say is, ours, our messaging is all wrong. I say, oh, that's interesting. So what I do is ask them to look at some things to determine if messaging is really the problem. We look at things like, how many overdue tasks do your reps have? How many skipped and deleted tasks do you find? How many phone calls are, are getting made? At what point in a sequence are your prospects starting to drop out because the reps either aren't executing the manual tasks or just 
removing them because they figured, well, they didn't answer on the first two calls. And it's an astounding number. The largest causes of sequence degradation are lack of conversion. It's not bad messaging. It's that your reps aren't actually doing the process of engaging someone long enough to earn their attention, right? The reason why we need sequences, when I started working at Outreach in 2017, one of the most compelling slides was this slide that said, look, we know that it takes more than seven touches to get a prospect, a cold outbound prospect to answer uh, our call or our email or whatever we're doing. And we know that we get a, a giant bump in connection rates after about the fifth, sixth, seventh touch in a sequence is a bell curve distribution. That fundamental fact of it takes time to earn someone's attention and that you've got to make all of those touches in order to get them to eventually get into a zone where they're willing to engage you or you've earned enough trust or generated enough curiosity that they want to have a conversation with you. You got to go through the motions. You got to make all of those actions happen. And if you don't, well, it's likely not your messaging. And so in almost every client that I work with, there is a laundry list of things that they should be fixing before they even think about what they want to do with those emails. And we'll talk about that in the next session about the difference between an email and a phone call. But that fundamental problem, you you just aren't doing the damn job, is the biggest reason why outbound has gotten so hard, right? Because mm-hmm. you're not doing it right. I think about anything in life, like as an individual contributor, as a human, um, the amount of lists that I make for myself, right? It's the execution on doing the steps. Like, could I have gotten everything on my grocery list? Sure, if I looked at it. (laughs) Could I have gotten through to my prospect if I followed my sequence? Sure, if I didn't skip all those steps. Yeah, so it's- No, but I'd have lost those 10 pounds if I didn't go to the gym one day instead of five, started eating jelly donuts two days into the diet. Right? Like, no shit. It didn't work. That's crazy. Okay. So execution is like, we're going to start cornerstone there. Anthony, chime in. Talk to me about what your thoughts are just on the state of where we are with this cold outbound piece. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, you know, we look back two or three years ago, the the sequencers, the tools, like it's there's an abundant amount of tools that are going to help you make more calls or you make more calls, send more emails, do more LinkedIn touches efficiently, right? There's no shadow of a doubt that those tools exist. I think the problem is, and one of the biggest mistakes that we make as a result of these tools existing is that, you know, it's Monday morning, get my cup of coffee, and I'm just loading prospects into a sequence, and then I let it run, right? I send my emails, and it's like, cool, I don't have to worry about these prospects until Thursday. The problem is sequences are no longer a silver bullet. You can't just set it and forget it anymore. That strategy does not work in 2023. So my take is that you need to give yourself the best chance to win in 2023, and you need to stand out amongst the busyness, which is your prospect's inbox and their cell phone. So with that, you really should be the owner of your sequence. If we make a sports analogy, you should be the quarterback. You should be proactive. You should not be reactive. A real example of this would be, let's imagine it's Monday and I send my emails and a prospect opens my email 10 times. A lot of us, because we're setting and forgetting, we'll wait until the next step, which is maybe a phone call or a LinkedIn touch or that second touch email until Thursday. So we'll go three days without engaging that prospect, even though they opened my email 10 times, Mm -hmm. right? And so practical tactical tip is if someone opens your email on on monday don't wait until thursday to engage them again 
because chances are you just lost them, right? Strike while the iron's hot. Use that prospect engagement as a sign of intent and switch up your approach based on how your prospects are engaging. So that's my that's my like biggest takeaway. Um, if there's one thing that you learn from me on this call is be more proactive and use your sequence as a North Star and don't let them control your your outbound strategy. Right. It's like a guardrail almost. It's not you can't call until Thursday. It's just a reminder that if you haven't, if there's been no activity, like call them on Thursday. But I really like that, like following the signals, making sure that you're watching and just reacting, I guess, like in a human way. Right. It's we don't have to follow the the robot. And the uh, platforms are even built to do this. If you use Apollo, if you use Outreach, you have a setting that says, hey, if an email has been opened X number of times, spin up an out of sequence call text. Let me know. Hey, you know, Anthony's opened your email four times. Time to call Anthony, right? The, t- the technology is built. Sequencing tools aren't built to make you dumber. They're built to make you smarter, right? And if you use them correctly, Anthony's exactly right. The sequence makes sure that those people that haven't engaged eventually earn their attention. But for those that are, don't worry about what it says to do in four days react to what they're doing right now once you get engagement all bets are off it's a new game yeah and i think just the final note on this piece is like guess what your messaging um the messaging or the engagement guides your messaging too so someone opens my email three times and i call them i'm not going to treat that prospect like they're completely cold i'm going to treat them like there's some awareness there and I'm going to humanize it. Right. And, um, I'm going to meet buyers where they're at in their buyer's journey. Right. Like I wouldn't treat, imagine David talked to our company a year ago, but Leslie's never heard of us at all. I'm going to treat Leslie and David differently because there are different stages of their buyer's journey. So again, the sequences should again, be a North star, that guardrail, and then use your, the data that you have available in your CRM, in your sequencer, to switch up your messaging, switch up your call opener, like have fun with it. That's what makes prospecting fun is you get all these signals and all this data, and then you get to try all these different tactics and different approaches based on um, what your prospects are telling you. So we'll get into like what those tactics actually look like here in a bit. Oh yeah. I'm going to push on you for some examples when we get to that point. It's like this mix and match, you get to match everything up in order for us to jump into this next piece, you both had so many fabulous things to talk about when it comes to account-based like management of our of our outbound efforts. I want to see where people are calling into, what segment you're calling into. If it's um, other and your fetter slide, you can stick that in the chat for us too. But let us know typically what segment you're calling into when you're outbounding, just so we can, again, customize our answers here okay while they're doing that um let me just give it one more second here oh healthcare yeah enterprise and sled love it so much fun government so much fun (laughs) let's see let's see where most of the room is here just so that we can chat about it i want to talk about this idea of account-based outbound engagement david do you want to kind of kick us off here yeah, uh, and I'll start with a caveat. Um, I think a lot of times when you hear advice on you know, LinkedIn or anywhere else, you might hear, 
one person talking about a set of strategies that really don't apply to what you're doing and vice versa. I talk a lot about account-based sales development as a way to approach larger customers, right? So when I talk about multi-touch, multi-channel, phone-heavy, 17 touches over 20 business days, right? Like I'm describing a very particular set of practices that are appropriate to the larger mid-market commercial enterprise and frequently fed customers, right? When it comes to SLED or SMB, where you've got literally 33 million potential targets, you probably can't get them down to a point that the kind of investment that I'm talking about is justified. If you sell something that is below 30K in ACV, if you're selling to 33 million prospects that you can't narrow down into a handful that you should engage every day, the kind of outbound account-based sales development that I'm describing is probably not for you. And there are other methods that are a lot more email marketing, decide to do larger lead gen or demand capture. Like, So I don't want anyone to get the idea that this is a one-size-fits-all program. So as we talk about this, especially the things I'm going to say, keep in mind that sort of audience that it applies to. And for those folks, I'm going to be very adamant what account-based sales looks like, what wrong looks like, what right looks like. But for those folks that don't fit that definition, please don't think that I'm trying to make this a one-size-fits-all program. It's not. So that's my caveat. Do you want more? Do you want me to tell you what I think it is? I I want to hear just like your overarching, what's your like number one rule when we're going into, I mean, when you're talking yep. mid-market enterprise, what's your number one rule here? If you're doing cold outbound, or if your marketing team is asking you to convert marketing qualified leads that are based on a lead score or a content download, or they got a booth scan, all of those things are not inbound hand raisers. If we're talking about inbound hand raisers, that's the one animal that we'll put off to the side. For everything else, if you're picking a target out of the blue or using MQL as an inference of account level intent, the way that you convert those accounts is not by engaging one person who you think is the person who downloaded the white paper. Instead, whether you're doing outbound or that kind of MQL inbound conversion, the job is to put some combination of buyers into sequences, a combination of high, medium, and low touch sequences with calls to action that are appropriate to each one of those kinds of buyers based on their role in the buying process, based on their seniority in the organization to simultaneously engage those various buyers with persona-specific messaging, right? We're tailoring based on what matters to them and how they think of the problems that you solve. You got to do at least three to five of those folks if you're going after larger mid-market enterprise customers. If you're doing strategic, you may have up to seven. We want to avoid having too many prospects from a single domain engaged at the same time to preserve our deliverability. But with some regulations and outreach, we used to have a rule called Rule 52. And what it said was for any SDR that's going to engage an account, you can engage up to five prospects and no more, and two of them have to be in a decision-making capacity, so a director or a VP level within certain functions within the organization. And that rule guided every SDR, so we knew if an SDR was going to engage an account, I was going to have at least two people engaged, and I was going to have up to five people engaged, depending on the priority of the account and what it was. To this date, that continues to be the most effective way to convert an account. It doesn't mean the first sequences are going to work, but it means that that low touch sequence that I'm using to reach out to an SDR to find out what conditions are like on the ground, I can get information from that that's going to make it more likely that I convert their VP into a qualified meeting. And so an account-based approach takes into account the different buyers that are going to be involved, their various entry point values, and is designed to work your way towards getting enough information. You can eventually convert those decision makers and champions who are going to be the ones who actually turn into business. 
right? But that's the idea. We don't do a single drop. It's not one prospect that we're engaging. We want to diversify our risk. Think of it like going to a casino. If I give you a stack of chips and you're at the roulette table, you could drop them all down to one number and you've got a 37 to one shot of winning. Or you can spread them out over five numbers and you've got almost a one in 16 shot. It's a much better way to think about diversifying the risk engagement, which is what you're doing anytime you expend your precious prospecting capacity. You're making a bet of what you're going to invest your time in for at least the next month, right? So make a smart bet. Yeah, it's protection. I love the risk aversion, like going to a casino. Yeah. Um, Everyone in the chat, I think like you can agree, have you been in a deal before where you had one point of contact and that's the person you've been talking to and they something happens, they leave the company, they ghost you, they get fired, like something happens, right? And it's heartbreaking because you put all this time and energy and love into it. Like I know, Anthony, we're not alone, but I'm sure, you know, it's it's something that happens all the time. So that multi-thread, that multi-touch. Anthony, what do you do there to make sure that you have all of these different people involved in your conversation? Yeah. So what I like to do is I like to create, um, well, when I worked at Outreach, when I worked at Lattice, we had different sequences for different levels. So we had this idea of like above the line, below the line. And so typically above the line are those folks that David mentioned me, those two decision makers. So typically your VPs and above, and then below the line folks were maybe individual contributors or managers or directors that you would use to get information and make sure that you are putting more irons in the fire to make sure you're you know spreading the account and making a groundswell, if you will. So um, you would put those folks in the the right and appropriate sequences, and then you would again use those signals and try to get responses that you could use to prospect into the decision makers. Because ultimately, you know, it's really hard to get the attention of a decision le- uh, decision maker, especially C level person at a big enterprise company, even a mid market company. Like everyone's super busy, without coming with a really strong point of view. And a really good way to get a strong point of view for prospecting into those folks is understanding what's going on at the ground level and what those problems look like. And the best way to do that is to engage with those below the line folks that are in the trenches every day. And those C-level folks may not be aware of what problems they're having. So you can bring that to their attention. Um, so my rule of thumb is like doing some kind of five by five. Um, and this can vary based on how many activities you need per day. But a good rule of thumb, if you're like a mid-market company, for example, would be targeting five new accounts and five people at each account. So it'd be 25 new prospects a day. And of those five contacts, you want to have a mix of below the line and above the line folks. Um, And using different problem statements for those different levels of folks in that company to gauge interest. Like, does this company have this problem that I can help with? Mm -hmm. So that's like my take on making sure I'm multi-threading and then how to actually action on it. I found even as like... um the recipient of these when I am talking with peers and they're getting messaging. It's not the same. Like I really like the fact that you both touched on this. Like you're sending different messages to different people who are involved. They're going to use your platform, your service, your product in a different way. But there's also this like groundswell that's happening, right? 
Now, if I'm talking to you and I mention this email, you're like, I got something from them too. Let me go look at it. Now people are talking about you internally, which brings me to the purpose of email. You know, we're this whole this whole thing's about email and sequencing and breaking through noise. Talk to me, like, let's just set a foundation again. Um, David, like, what's your main intent, your main purpose when you your clients are sending emails cold? First thing I gotta say, sequences aren't email. And and I and I hear this a lot from people and they say, Oh, those email sequences, I just want to bang my head against the wall. Email is probably the least interesting touch in a sequence, right? We've known this for a very long time. Outreach has been reporting for since 2017, at least, and it's been consistent with every one of the 100 plus customers I've worked with over the past several years. Phone calls convert three to one minimum over the email touches in a sequence. Email is the most problematic touch point because it's easier to say no via email, easier just to ignore it outright. If I have an objection that I deliver over email, it's harder to answer because it's an asynchronous mode of communication, right? Email is highly problematic. Email now, if you listen to Lavender and everybody else, you only got about 50 words to communicate your idea, which if you've ever tried to write something meaningful in 50 words, it's incredibly complicated. Email also tends to be something that we presume is happening right out of the gate, right? Instead, we should think of email as something different. What email is designed to do in a good sequence when you're approaching the kind of clients that I've described earlier is get a phone call answer. The combination of the activity that you're doing on LinkedIn, which is predominantly designed to get yourself recognized, you're not sending connection requests necessarily. You're not sending in-mails at all. You're engaging with content of the prospect you want to engage. You're leaving comments. The purpose is to be seen as a human so that you're differentiated from all of the people that are only competing for attention in the inbox where you are just a faceless voiceless name. The reason why on phone call touches, we leave voicemails, by the way, is not because we expect a call back. It's because they humanize the rep. It's the three or four phone calls in a row that eventually gets your fifth phone call answered, right? Because you're earning that attention over time. And so now we've got a different way of thinking about email. The purpose of email is not to communicate the features and benefits of our products so that someone intellectually says, yes, I want to buy them. It's never to do. At most, the purpose of an email is to convey a common problem that your product is designed to solve that says, hey, I understand your world. This is the Samantha McKenna notion of show me, you know me. My only polite sort of revision of that is instead of it being personalized, something about Anthony, I want to talk about something that will be relevant to Anthony as as SDR manager, the problems that he deals with that my product can potentially solve. So now email isn't designed to tell me about a product. Email isn't designed to get me to take a meeting. Email is designed to do a couple of things. It's designed to build my credibility, to demonstrate to that prospect that I understand something about their world. So I might be someone worth engaging when it comes time to solve that particular problem. It's to generate curiosity. Well, yes, that is my problem. How can you help me deal with it? If I tell them, then they don't, they're not curious about it. Why do you need to talk to me? If you already know that I sell widget A and you've tried widget A and you fucking hate widget A then you don't need me, right? So why not just leave it at, you got a problem? Now, the phone call becomes what the email is really designed to do. There's no CTAs in the email or questions. Is this your problem? Is this your challenge, right? Everybody knows what you're doing with email. If they want to have a meeting with, they're not going to be like, wow, he didn't ask for a meeting. I would have no idea how to engage this person, right? They're not stupid, right? So all you're doing with the email is designed to say, hey, I've got something interesting to do. So that when I actually get you on the phone, 
I have a conversation with you about a problem that we have in common. And that's where the conversion happens, right? The purpose of email is to get a phone call answered. The purpose of social engagement is to humanize us to get a phone call answered. You win in the phone call. That's where you as a rep are doing your magical stuff. So all the time that we're spending writing better emails, stop. It's not what makes sequences work. It's not where we convert. It's not the purpose of that channel, right? And trying to do it as more people are increasing the amount of garbage that they're sending through automated email blasting as platforms are building automated email spam cannons and helping us get past all of the very legitimate email box regulations that keep us from doing that. We're only making that channel degrade further, which makes the phone more valuable. Now, good, the good news for all of you is everybody thinks the phone doesn't work anymore. So the phone is now the least used channel. Voicemail, I'm prospected by 50 plus SDRs every week. I get fewer than one voicemail per month. What? That's bonkers. Like that, yeah. I'm going to stop. But that's, that's insane. That's not what email's for. That's not what sequences are. Pick up the phone. Same. I got seven voicemails last year total. That's it. All year. It's crazy. And I yeah, crazy. I'm waiting. Send me a voicemail. I love it. I'm probably opening floodgates. Anthony, um, talk to us about, you know, a CTA that you might use on an email because you talked about like piquing their interest, right? Saying yeah. that David's talking about. You're not asking for a meeting necessarily. What's a good example of like a CTA that you're using right now? <clears throat> yeah. So, you know, one thing that when I was leading my SDR team, we weren't booking, like we would definitely book meetings that stemmed from an email, but it wasn't what you may think. It wasn't open to learning more or interested in, in, in learning more, or do you have time next week? It was, we were offering something to them by asking them a question. Um, and what that allowed us to do was gauge their interest in this problem we were talking about. So I want to first break down the email structure that I use so that it makes this effective. So yeah. first line of your email is it, I hope you're doing well. I hope you're safe and healthy. Cut that cut that out because they're not your friend. Um, and as good intention that we have, like they don't care. So I go like straight for the observation, right? Or, they, or a trigger. All that is, is a good reason for me to reach out. If you don't have one of those, you shouldn't be reaching out in the first place. You need to have some relevant reason that you're reaching out. Then you need to talk about some kind of problem related to that trigger. So imagine, you know, I was helping companies ramp SDRs quicker, right? My trigger may be, saw you were hiring SDRs. I now need to talk about a problem that I validated through customers that I've worked with that were also hiring SDRs and share that problem. Because if I don't talk about that problem, there's no way to know if they're actually having that problem or not. Then I'm going to share some kind of social proof. Hey, XYZ company plugged us in. They're able to ramp their SDRs and X days, whatever. And then you should offer them something by asking them the question. So um, one of the things that you can do is, hey, mind share, like mind if I share this resource with you or mind if I share a one minute video on how we're doing it or mind if I share this calculator with you, whatever you have that's a free asset, you can ask them if it's okay to send it over. Because what you do is if they say yes, you've just validated that there is some kind of interest around this problem. Um, and what this allows you to do too, is you cannot use this first touch email as your call script, right? Um, because the, the, the framework works. It's like you have a reason for your reaching out. 
and you're asking them about this problem. So you don't really have to make up a new script. You just look at your initial email and then ask them if they have that problem. Another CTA that you can do if you don't have something free that you can give them is like David said, you know, gauge their interest. Is this something your team is currently running into? Is prioritizing this, solving this problem uh, top of mind, right? Like the CTA should be a question that gauges and uh, their interest in if this problem exists. Like, are you are you using X to solve this today or whatever? Um, your goal with email is to get some kind of validation that this problem may exist. Um, it's not to ask for a meeting because right now, if you ask for a meeting over email, they're not going to respond. Like, people are really struggling to book meetings over email, but they keep doing it. Um, and another thing you have to think about too is like. There are all these tactics on email on LinkedIn. Guess what happens? Everyone starts to use them and then prospects build a mental spam filter. So six months ago, open to learning more. Is this interesting? Everyone started to use it. And guess what? It doesn't work anymore. So um, you need to zig when everyone else is zagging. And right now, giving them something of value in the email is the best approach. Because then from there, if they do open your email, there's some things that you can do on the other channels. Um, for example, if someone, op- hey, Leslie, if you open my email five times, I may say, hey, Leslie, this is Anthony with Outreaches that ring a bell, right? I wouldn't say that to David if he's never opened my email, right? Or if I send you a connection request um, on LinkedIn and you've opened my email five or more times and I've sent you a couple of emails, I may say, hey, Leslie, I sent you uh, an email on Monday, just want to put a face to the name. That's it. You're again building awareness that you exist. And if you have your LinkedIn set up properly, they'll go to your LinkedIn, they'll be your profile. And chances are they'll go back to your email and they'll read it. And then you'll get an alert. And then you can call them and use those signals together. Right. So they all end up working together. And the anchor is that really, really good email on the problem that you can help solve. Yeah. I think that answers a few questions in the chat earlier too about like, some people say leave, you know, tell them they opened it. They should know that it's 2023 and uh, everyone can see if you've received, opened, read, deleted their emails. Some people say don't say it. So I liked your take on this. I've also seen like your CTA, that free drop. If you have something to give them, I've seen it work really well in the PS. Like that always gets me like, oh, by the way, here's a free give for you. And I'm like, I'll take that free give. <laughs> like I'll jump into those PS sections a lot and click and convert on there and yeah and as a buyer yeah and guess what if if i send you that free resource and like you you respond and, and you take and you take it if i if i call you i'm not trying to sell you on a meeting if i call you i was like i want to have a conversation and understand why like you were curious and downloading that like what's going on that made you download that right and then i'll get i'm just being human and, and peaking your interest right there yeah jump in david I want to underscore something that Anthony said that's super important and kind of a subtle distinction. When Anthony is describing what he's doing in his emails, you'll notice he's talking about problem statements. He's not talking about value propositions. The fundamental difference is that we tend to write marketing, especially. I love my marketing friends, but we tend to write about our company and about our products. And instead, all outbound should begin from the the understanding that you're never going to talk about your company and you're never going to talk about your products in email. You'll eventually get to that point, but What you're talking about is your customer and their problems. Every value proposition that you have that is a feature benefit focused, here's what we do, 
you need to reverse engineer the problem that that is designed to solve and have a conversation about that. Because when you're talking about a cold outbound prospect, not somebody who came to your website and filled out a contact us form, but somebody who your presumption is that they may not know very much about you at all. The thing that you have in common at that point in the conversation is not your product. It is the problem that your product is designed to solve, right? And and the second thing that Anthony said that's the, that flows out from that is when you have that conversation and you pick up the phone and you say, hey, it's it's Anthony from, right? That conversation begins with, hey, I'm following up on the email sent. Did you get it? And they're going to have one of two answers. They're probably going to say no. And you're going to say not surprising email is terrible to communicate with. That's actually why I'm calling right? And then you reiterate the problem state, wondering if this has been a challenge. And you have a conversation that starts with the problem. And at some point, they're going to stop you and say, what is it that you do? And at that point, you should never tell them what you do in the sense of going into your product. You should say, we help people solve that. We've worked with a lot of customers that you might know. Can I schedule 30 minutes with you? And the more they press you to tell them what you do, the less you should feel pressure to tell them exactly what you do. Instead, you should stay oblique so that they have the kind of curiosity that motivates them to actually spend 30 minutes with you. I don't mean be obtuse, but I mean get a layer deeper. We help people solve that problem. We help it by helping them get their data better. We help it by doing this, but never get down into the, well, we've got a proprietary algorithm. AI, blah, 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 blah. Stop. That's not what that calls for. So Anthony, I think that's super perceptive. I think keeping a problem focused and knowing that the substance of your cold call is about the problem, not your product, not your company. Those are the things that get people to convert. My favorite way, I love like uh, an example, like Jeff asked for an example here. Like I used to take a sheet of whatever you're selling, product, service, and take all these features, like single pane of glass. That's one that I feel like is everywhere, right? We have a, we give you a single dashboard view, a single pane of glass, and then add, like ask yourself the question or do it with your group. So that what? Like, why does Anthony care that I have a single pane of glass? So that what? Like, how can I go down this path over and over again? What is he going to be able to do for himself, for his company? And eventually you'll get to the core problem. Just keep asking. So that what? A billion times. Yeah. And we're going to roll it back. What can't you do without a single pane of glass? And it's not just, God, Jesus. This does not mean say things like, do you wish your forecast was more accurate? Like, no shit right and it can be like do you find that forecasting is hard like yes you got to get to it deeper than that you've got to be able to say hey do you find that because your reps are working in multiple systems that it becomes very hard to get a true understanding of what the actual customer journey looked like in any given deal if you can help me not have that problem and that is the actual problem that i have that's leading to my bad forecast now i'm going to say like yeah that's exactly what you we're in a bunch of systems nobody logs anything i don't get a complete picture that's the kind of insight that makes people go, okay, yeah, I actually want to solve that. Not, do you wish you had a more accurate forecast? Is forecasting problematic? Are your reps not entering data? Duh, duh, duh. Right? Make it something that's compelling. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share an example email with everyone um, that I, someone asked for an example. Um, so I shared two CTAs that you can use. So one of them is like giving a free everything away one of them is if you don't have anything is like gauging that interest um and like tactical if we're talking about sequences like the problem statement in this example is aec prospecting and they end up winging it so you want to have at least three of these problem statements in your sequence per persona so um if you think about a sequence you can have one like initial thread 
mixed with phone calls and LinkedIn messages with problem statement one, your bump email, your social proof. And then a new thread is problem statement two with that same kind of uh, touch point uh, cadence. And then you could have problem statement three. So what you've done is you've created awareness that you solved three specific problems uh, for this specific persona and you're gauging their interest. That approach works really, really well because how many times do you get to step number 15 and you're like, what do I say? Well, you solve more than one problem. So I like to structure it with you know nine emails, three emails per problem statement. And each of those three emails are their own individual threads. So you're kind of poking at three different problems and seeing what resonates the most. And guess what? Those problems aren't ones that you create out of thin air. They're problems that you've taken from your case studies. They're problems that you asked your AE, hey, the last deal you closed, what were the top three problems that CRO is trying to solve? Your customers end up writing your email copy for you. You don't have to create it. Guess what? Own script. Exactly. I can tell you this. Like, hey, David, saw you're hiring a corporate AE on your team. They'll be responsible for outbound prospecting. Um, are you ever running into issues where your AEs end up winging it when it comes to their pipeline gen and they start relying on their SDRs and marketing? I know that problem exists because I've already solved it for other people like David. He may have a dialed in system and he's just not a fit and that's all good. But when I talk about problems, right. I get them to validate it. And guess what? When I get that problem statement validated, David actually shows up to the meeting because I'm not just trying to squeeze him into a meeting based on shoving features down his throat because that is not what closes deals. What closes deals is, does this person have a problem I can solve? So you really need to flip the script on like what you're saying in your in your your sequences. Okay, I want to get a couple hot seat quick style questions here. Um, if you have other questions, you feel free to put them in the Q and A section at the bottom. But there's a couple from the chat that asked about voicemails, um, and just like a quick, if you could give what your voicemail sounds like. Do you leave it to get a call back, or do you leave it to point them to a different channel? Quick style take on that. I'll give you mine. A voicemail is only intended to humanize you with the with the prospect and to get them to pick up a subsequent message. They're never going to dial you back. You the a voicemail should simply say this: "Hey, it's Dave from Silicon Hills. Sent you a couple of emails. Um, my number is five one two seven nine nine one seven six eight. I'll try you again later." Right? Here's what did I not try to do? I didn't try to summarize the email because that's not the point. I don't think they're literally going to go back and look at it. Right. I didn't try to get them to give me a call back. Why did I say my number? I said my number because chances are on their phone, that's what shows up. It doesn't say David Brashears. It says 512799. And I'm going to leave three, four, five voicemails over the course of the sequence, hoping that my sixth or seventh call gets answered. I'm going to make all seven of those touches. But the point is, each one of those voicemails, in conjunction with the activity that I'm doing on LinkedIn and the emails that are coming in, are starting to humanize me and build the case that they should eventually give me some time. So don't get frustrated if your emails or if your voicemails aren't getting callbacks and don't stop calling. If you left two voicemails and they didn't call you back, that doesn't mean they're not interested. That means you haven't earned interest yet. You have to get to that point. You can't, we're not trying to stab the 6% of the customers that are in marketing in a given moment. We're trying to pull in people who may be curious whether they're in a buying mode or not. These are not inbound prospects. Your conversion path will be different. It may take you a year and a half. Carrie Olson at Workato was one of my favorite SDRs. And it was because she was an absolute pit bull. Things that Anthony described about going and getting in format level. Like, 
individual contributor insights to go give somebody. She must have hunted Dell for two solid years when we were working together at Outreach. And I don't know that we ever won the accounts. I know that we got lots and lots of meetings, but the point is it was that tenacity and that willingness to stick with it that eventually got those doors knocked down, even at the most impenetrable companies. So don't give up. Your voicemail is working. It's just not doing what most people tell you voicemail should do because that's not its job. Yeah, you don't need to ask for the call back. Um, They're not going to. <laughs> they might though. But one real quick thing, bump the email after the, uh, if you do a pattern that basically has you make a phone call on one day, a phone call two days later to pick up on the stacking effect, bump the email that you sent three days prior, five minutes after that phone call. And so the second phone call that you make in that little two-step jump two days apart is to say, hey, I'm going to resend that email. And so you automatically bump it afterwards. Outreach, we got a disproportionate number of replies to that bump email that followed the voicemail because while they wouldn't call us back, they would, when that email arrived, say either no or yes or okay, I'll give you some time. They were responding to the voicemail, but they were using the email to do it because it's easier for me to do that than to pick up the phone and actually dial you. Right. So there are some ways the voicemail can work that you may not be attributing to the voicemail. Um, there's a, another question. And I'm sorry, it's very small today for some reason. Um, do you say bump? Do you say thoughts? Do you say sending this per my message? What do you say on that bump email? Um, I'll say things like, curious to know if I'm on the right track here. Curious to know if this is something you're dealing with. Also in bumps, that's usually where I'll put a piece of collateral, like curious to know if this is an issue, not trying to be oblique. Here's a blog post that explains what I'm talking about in more terms. I also, early in a sequence, try to use more third-party validating things. I never want to send stuff about my products. I generally don't want to have the conversation go there yet. So I'll use things like Gartner reports or industry white papers that talk about the problem that I'm talking about. And I use that bump as a way to just say, is this the issue? I want to give them another look at that email. And then here's the little thing that validates that why that might be a problem for you. I'm trying to demonstrate my credibility that I understand something about their world. Anthony, really quick, what's your mix of email, phone, social touches, anything like any other channels you use? Are you do you even it out? What's what's kind of your touch there? Uh, um, I have I have this somewhere where it's ex my exact thing that I use, but off the top of my head, it's typically it's typically like twenty touches over thirty days, and like nine nine of those are going to be emails. Um, the rest is going to be phone calls, LinkedIn and video, but that's like the skeleton, right? Like right. that could be, that could be very much different. Like I'm not, if I send an email today, Wednesday, and someone opens my email like five times, I'm sending them a LinkedIn connection request today. I'm not waiting. So it may be more, maybe less, but again, like don't worry so much about like what your initial sequence looks like. Yeah. Make sure you have that to follow if there's no engagement so you can hit them at the right time if they don't end up picking up the phone or they don't ever open an email but you should be your sequence should be dynamic and fluid agile yes be loose with it have fun with it um yeah. I, I mean you know prospecting is super necessary it's not on everyone's number one new list every single day so you may as well try to be creative and have fun with it if you can um you know, to, to put yourself in the best chance to win and, and put yourself in the right mindset. I love it. 
David, final final thoughts here. Well, we're we're going to share both of your LinkedIn profiles in the chat here for everybody. But any final thoughts here as we're wrapping up on time? The best thing that you can do from an outbound perspective before you start messing with messaging and everything else is go take a good hard look at what's actually happening. Anthony and both and I both said basically the same thing. A good enterprise level engagement is probably going to be about a month long, um, and that means your sequences should have north of 15 touches that they should be somewhere between 22 business days and 30 days long depending if you're using weekend send schedules but make sure the first thing is that your reps are actually doing the activities that they're making the phone calls that they're doing them in a timely fashion that they're not having a ton of overdue skipped or deleted tasks because those structural problems and the execution challenges are these biggest contributors to why your sequences aren't working Target selection is probably number two. Are you picking the right accounts and the right prospects? And a distant third is how's my messaging? But everybody wants to start with messaging. Don't start there. Go figure out your fundamentals. Figure out if your targeting is right. Then come talk to somebody about if you've got the right message for those personas. Love it. Thank you both for being here. We are back with The Daily Show tomorrow. Same time, you can check out the calendar at sellbetter.xyz. And we'll see you tomorrow. Gentlemen, it was such a pleasure. Thank you for sharing your time, your knowledge, and your treasure with us today. See you Thanks, Leslie. Thanks, y'all. Appreciate it. <laughs>